0: Welcome back to Couple of Criminals. This is Mariah
1: and this is Anton and we're your average couple reviewing your not-so-average crimes.
0: Today's episode is number 46 out of a 50-part series that will be based around a crime in each state in the United States of America and are in alphabetical order, which means today's case will be based on a crime from the state of Virginia. Actually, a little fun fact for you, Anton and I actually met in the state of Virginia. I am originally from Southern Oregon, and Anton is originally from the state of Florida. So how did an Oregonian, is it a Floridian? Is that how it is said?
1: Yeah, Floridian.
0: Okay, so how did an Oregonian and Floridian meet in Virginia, you would ask? Well, we actually met at a small liberal arts college in a town called Buena Vista, and we actually met on the second day of freshman orientation during like a... I don't know, like a freshman open house event kind of thing. It was like a dance, but was that, there was, was games. Was
1: the, dan- the orientation dance?
0: Yeah, there was like games and a dance, and he was sitting out on a picnic table with some of his buddies from baseball, and I was with some of my roommates, and we exchanged numbers, and I guess really, I, really you can say the rest is history. We have been together in a total of nine years this year, which is just so crazy to think about. I'm— We're actually really interested to see which case Anton chose from the state of Virginia because like, I am a huge true crime fan, but I really don't know that many cases from the state of Virginia. Do you? Uh,
1: No, not really. I mean, there's a few that I've heard, but I I guess now I know a lot because I've looked some up. But yeah, I don't think you've heard this one.
0: Yeah, I probably haven't. But nonetheless, that's a little fun fact for you listeners. That's how Anton and I met. And it's actually cool. The, the slogan for the state of Virginia, if you didn't know, is actually called Virginia is for lovers. So it's super cute.
1: Yeah, they actually have a couple nice like signs at like the welcome centers too.
0: Yeah, big ones if yeah. you haven't driven through the state, which Virginia is beautiful. The, the Blue Ridge Mountains are beautiful, even though for me in comparison to Oregon and Utah, they're really the Blue Ridge Hills, but we'll just give them the benefit of the doubt. All right, well, let's hear your joke of the day, Anton, and then you can get into the case that you chose from Virginia.
1: All right. Do you know the most important job of a grill master at a restaurant?
0: Oh, we're going food. I do not. What is the most important job of a grill master, Anton?
1: To please their stakeholders.
0: (laughs) That's a good one. Anton and I are huge steak lovers, too.
1: Uh, Yes, we are.
0: You can never go wrong with a ribeye.
1: (sighs) I prefer medium rare, but someone prefers medium, so we compromise.
0: Yeah, I can't be having my meat look really red. So medium is suffice. Nonetheless, that was a good joke. I like that one. Let's hear your, your case.
1: Today we will be going over a case from Virginia. Now, like Mariah said, both her and I went to school here, and this is where we met. We both know the beauty of this state from the Appalachian Mountains, like she said, the Blue Ridge Parkway, to the rivers that flow through this beautiful state. But with all this beauty also comes a dark past. Today's case will be going over the South Side Strangler, whose spree of crime was in late 1987 in the Richmond and Arlington areas of Virginia. Now, have you uh, heard about this one, Mariah?
0: I haven't. But for you listeners who don't know where Richmond or Arlington is, that's actually northern Virginia right next to the D.C. area. Yeah, Arlington
1: is like well, pretty Arlington, much D.C. area. It's
0: pretty much the border. And right?
1: then the ri- Richmond is about like, what, 30, 40, 30 45 40 minutes, minutes yeah. outside of D.C.?
0: Yeah, Arlington is beautiful.
1: This case actually starts in 1984 when our killer actually got away with murder. Our killer's first murder was, in fact, in 1984, but police would not be able to connect our killer to the murder of Carolyn Ham until 1989. But unfortunately, David Vasquez was convicted of her murder and sentenced to 35 years in prison. So someone who didn't do he was wrongly convicted. He was wrongfully convicted of murder.
0: Oh my gosh!
1: Our killer's next victim was the beginning of their spree in 1987. This killing took place between the hours of 9 p.m. on September eighteenth to nine thirty a.m. on September nineteenth, Debbie Davis was a thirty-five-year-old woman who was found by police in the morning on September nineteenth. Her body was found naked in her bed, and she had been strangled to death by some type of ratchet device. Just a few weeks later, on October second, nineteen eighty-seven, our killer found their way into the home of Dr. Susan Helms, who was thirty-two. She was killed either on the night of October second or October third. The attacker gained access to the home by cutting a large portion of a window on the second floor. Police were called by Helen's husband when he came home and discovered her partially naked body in their closet. Medical examiners determined that she was strangled to death, most likely by two belts. My That's question, a
0: horrible way yeah, to...
1: horrible way to die. My question is, is, I'm assuming her husband must work overnights then
0: like or some sort of night shift yeah, cuz when because did he find her?
1: He found her in the morning of October 3rd when he got home from work. Yeah, so I'm he must
0: work a night shift. So he
1: must work a night shift. Cuz I'm like And
0: that's a terrible way to find your wife.
1: Oh yeah, in their own closet of their bedroom, pretty much naked. Choose was.
0: Well, naked. and you know what else I was thinking is whoever the killer is must have watched them to know that he would be it gone must, during the night. Yeah, definitely he knew the, figured out the, the schedule. routine mm-hmm.
1: of this family. Up next is November 22, 1987, when Diane Cho, a 15-year-old high school student, was found in her family's apartment near Richmond. She was found naked and had been strangled in the same way as our first two victims. Our last victim was Susan Tucker, who was 44. She was assumed to be murdered by strangulation on or around november twenty seventh nineteen eighty seven in her home in Arlington, Virginia. Her body wasn't found until December first, though this is when our killer was finally dubbed as the South Side Strangler by the press, as all of their victims were strangled to death. It wasn't until January of nineteen eighty eight when we figured out who our killer was on January twentieth nineteen eighty eight Police in Arlington arrested timothy wilson spencer on the account of murdering and raping susan tucker
0: did they have dna that tied him to the scene or how did they get him
1: we will get into that actually a little bit later spencer was 25 at the time and he was actually a resident in richmond virginia police also figured out that he was in arlington visiting his mother for thanksgiving this is also when they realized that his mother's home was only one mile away from Susan Tucker's home, then soon after being arrested, he also was charged with the murders of Debbie Davis, Diane Cho, and Doctor Susan Helms.
0: That's actually really impressive because you don't hear that in many cases where there's multiple homicides that they that quickly get tied to one person. Yeah, because usually it takes a significant amount of time, or by the time they're going to trial for the one, they can actually connect more to them, but. Wow.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. Because, I mean, like you said, you see it all the time. It takes, it can take months, years to f- connect cases together. Police found out that he was staying at a parolee halfway house in Richmond after he was released from prison in 1984 for a robbery he had committed. This home was actually within walking distance of the Davis and Hellman's home. Mariah, do you know what a halfway house is?
0: Yeah, it's pretty much a setup for people who are in between. I mean, obviously, a halfway house is known for felons. And it's when they've been released and they're in the process of transitioning to real life. And a halfway house is provided to help them get kind of like a means to an end.
1: Yeah, so I I have a little definition here. But yeah, pretty much like you said, a halfway house is a living environment that supports recovery for people transitioning out of drug and or alcohol rehab, mental health treatment, and or incarceration.
0: Yeah, I feel like in TV shows, especially like your criminal TV shows, the halfway houses always still seem pretty sketchy. Yeah. But not only that, like, there always ends up being a, a leader yeah, of the it's halfway very, house. Yeah, it's But that's so also true. TV shows. I
1: think just the TV shows might just portray them that way because... I mean, typically they're the chasing stereotype. a bad guy, yeah. and a bad guy's staying there. In this case, kind of the same thing. Someone bad was staying there, and they figured it out. But I'm sure not all halfway houses no, I bet like not. this.
0: And I bet a lot of people find success from like, the blessing that comes from having that as an option.
1: Yeah, I, mean, I agree. So his first trial began in July 11th, 1988, in Arlington, Virginia. This was for the rape, robbery, and murder of Susan Tucker. His sentencing was that of death due to being able to be linked to the crime by DNA evidence found. This was actually the first case in Virginia to be solved by DNA evidence linking the killer to the victim.
0: Yeah, but this is 1988. What was the DNA technology that they had?
1: So apparently, he didn't leave any fingerprints or anything like that any type of trace like that, it was actually his semen that was found for DNA, and they tested it against his blood, and they were able to connect him that way.
0: Oh, I assumed it was going to be semen since it was a rape. Yeah. But you just never know but how yeah, careful the what killer is. But from what I saw,
1: is. he didn't leave any other DNA traces other than I think it was some semen and maybe some hair. Wow. But yeah, I thought it was cool that this was the first case that was solved by DNA evidence, like connecting a killer to DNA evidence.
0: And he got the death sentence because and of it?
1: he got the death sentence. Well, yeah, he killed four people, five people.
0: Oh, yeah, but this is in the 80s. Mm-hmm.
1: This was before, I guess, they outlawed the death sentence. In most states. In most states. Then, after his conviction in Arlington, Spencer was to go on trial in Richmond. His first trial in Richmond was for the rape, robbery, and murder of Debbie Davis. This trial was in September of 1988. Again, DNA in forms of semen and hair was found in the Davis home. This was pretty much a 100% match with DNA from Spencer. I say only pretty much 100% because it was more like 99.9 because there was a likelihood of it being someone else's DNA, but it was like a 1 in 705 million odds.
0: I feel like they always do that, though, just to be able to cross their T's and dot their
1: I's. And he was again convicted on all accounts. January 19th, 1989 rolls around and Spencer is on trial again, this time for the rape, robbery, and murder of Dr. Susan Helms. Just like the previous two trials, he was convicted and sentenced to death due to DNA evidence. Following all the trials, his DNA that was found was also used in some other open and closed cases to see if he was the one who did it. This is when he was finally linked to the Carolyn Hamm case back in 1984.
0: And that's the case where the guy was convicted for 35 years?
1: Well, due to similar ways Carolyn Hamm was murdered, as well as DNA evidence, police actually gave him an unconditional pardon for the crime, David Vasquez. And he was released in 1989 after serving five years of his sentence.
0: I wonder how much compensation he got because obviously he could file a lawsuit.
1: I didn't look it up. I would assume he filed a lawsuit.
0: Oh, I bet he got compensation. He probably got
1: a good, because I think you get paid an amount per year you spend in jail, if I'm not mistaken.
0: Well, and he could file a lawsuit and put in an amount.
1: Oh, yeah. I'm sure he got a good chunk of change. And again, he was actually the first person released as well and pardoned due to DNA evidence linking the actual killer to the case.
0: Which is great.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm sure now we've seen that probably happen a lot more. People are well, getting, hopefully not a lot. Well, hopefully more not more of the wrongfully convicted, but like people aren't being convicted because of DNA evidence. Because of DNA yeah. evidence. Now Spencer was never actually charged for Carolyn's murder, but police do believe that he was the one who committed it, leading his total count of victims to five. Spencer did try to appeal his convictions, but the court ended up denying these appeals. Spencer was executed on April 27th, 1994 by the electric chair.
0: You know what's crazy is he was only on death row for five years. It was
1: a very short time, yeah.
0: Yeah, usually death row. I mean, but if they filed every appeal that they could and they were denied. They
1: denied it every time.
0: And I'm like sitting here thinking, I'm like from the legal standpoint, what kind of reason would you put for the appeal? Because they I, had I so much DNA I evidence think against him. I want
1: to say the judge ended up pretty much saying that, like, well, on top of the DNA evidence, like, this was not something that was not, like, out of your control or whatever. Like, this was something that was premeditated. As, of course, like I said, he lived close to these women and this young girl.
0: Well, yeah, and then I think about how he really got so many death sentences because the cases were so solid against him. Oh yeah. So like there's no way that an appeal was gonna go through either way because they had such solid cases. Like sometimes death penalty not sometimes death penalties get taken off the table a lot and switched to life sentences or a whole new trial because the case isn't as firm or solid, but he had a he had a solid case against him. Oh
1: yeah, I for all of them again DNA evidence alone put him at the scene of the crime matched him pretty much a hundred percent. And yeah. You know, I did see this cool thing too. The electric chair that he was electrocuted in, it was like right outside Richmond, I wanna say, the, the um the jail that he was executed at. The the inmates actually built the electric chair out of oak wood.
0: They had the inmates build the chair that killed inmates.
1: Yeah. I know I thought it was kinda weird too, but yeah. Inmates actually built the chair.
0: But now it's just most often the electric chair isn't used. It's inject. It's typically I think
1: nowadays it's going to be lethal Lethal injections. injections. It's I wouldn't say it's a more humane way to go, but it probably is a little more than getting electrocuted or shot.
0: But death row still, I don't feel like is a common thing. I feel like our prisons are just overflowing. It's,
1: It's very uncommon, I think. Yeah. To see a death Sentence in the u s in the u s without it being like a super like heinous crime or serial killer or something like that
0: Well, we're seeing plea deals become a way more common thing where they just take the plea deal and then
1: well, I think like now now they realize that oh they're caught, they just plea deal to not have to serve or not no get the death not sentence, to die and they have life
0: yeah, except you spend your life behind bars. I don't know. I don't know.
1: I don't know either.
0: I also don't know how many states actually have the death penalty still as an option.
1: I guess that's a fact you'll have to find out. I know. Out next I'll, week. I'll
0: share it, and by the next episode, I'll find out.
1: Yeah, that is the case of the Southside Strangler, who went on an eleven-week killing spree, just to be known as the first serial killer to go down due to evident DNA evidence.
0: Yeah, that's phenomenal, and I think. It's even more amazing because it was in the late 80s. DNA it was stuff, probably
1: like, yeah, right when DNA stuff just was coming out.
0: Yeah, because before that, they would compare like blood types. And that's for sure not solid evidence. But they were able to confirm his semen was there. And unless, I mean, especially you have to think in interrogations, they're going to be like, have you been intimate with anybody? Do you know, you know, this woman? Have you ever Questions, been intimate with yeah. her? Like, why would your DNA be here? And if he doesn't have a valid reason and they have his DNA, shoot, there you go. There's the guilty conviction. And that's what happened. I've never heard of that case.
1: Yeah, me neither until I looked it up.
0: Man, especially in the state. There was a lot of lovers. other
1: pretty good ones too, but that for another time.
0: Another time, yeah. Well, thank you for listening to Couple of Criminals. We will see you back here next week where I will be reviewing a crime from the state of Washington. Until then, this is your couple of criminals
1: signing off.